Hello and welcome to Humanitarian AI Today, the podcast series produced by the Humanitarian AI Meetup.com groups in Cambridge, San Francisco, and New York. I'm Mia Koschevelu, your host, and today we're going to interview a very special guest, Ran Goldblatt from New Light Technologies. Welcome, Ran. Can you just um, introduce yourself and tell us a bit about um, New Light Technologies? Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for um, hosting me. Um, so, yeah, my name is Ran Goldblatt. I'm a geographer. Um, I'm the chief scientist of New Light Technologies. Um, my background is in GIS and remote sensing, and I guess we will talk about GIS and remote sensing in this talk. Um, but in general, GIS is geographical information systems utilizing geospatial data to understand our world. Um, New Light Technologies is a small business based in um, DC, uh, which focuses on um, everything IT, um, IT management and um, geospatial data management and geospatial data analysis. Um, we work with um, pri the private uh, with private companies. Uh, we also work with um, the federal agencies. So, for example, I am deeply involved in work related to FEMA. Um, helping FEMA um, um, manage disasters with um, geospatial data. Uh, we also work a lot with um, the World Bank, um, DC government, and other agencies. Wow, that's massive. And um, we we were talking uh, briefly about the, uh, the World Bank uh, the other day, and uh, perhaps we can focus on that, but FEMA and everything else sounds um, really, really intriguing i think um we we can maybe um possibly start off with your connection with the world bank would you like to give expand on that a little bit and, and possibly fema yeah so as i mentioned um i'm a geographer um i did my phd in tel aviv university israel um my phd focused on a totally different um, topic related to um, social geography and relations between Arabs, Arabs and Jews in Israeli mixed cities. Um, and when I did my postdoc at UC San Diego, um, my advisor um, was an economist, Gordon, Professor Gordon Hansen, and he was interested in um, understanding developing countries, um, understanding, for example, how urbanization is related to industrialization in India, for example. Um, this is when I was exposed to remote sensing analysis and what you can do with satellite data, how you can utilize satellite data to better understand our world. Um, and one of the key goals of remote sensing is, for example, focusing on developing countries. Um, I gave a talk um, a few years ago, and um, that's how I got connected to the World Bank. Um, at the beginning, I was a consultant to the bank. Um, and then when I transitioned um, to DC, uh, to New Light Technologies, after um, a cooling period, um, I got um, more and more involved in the World Bank projects. And we are working with a few divisions at the bank um, focusing primarily in developing countries. Um, so, for example, using nighttime light data um, to understand economic activity and economic development in countries. Because, you know, um, satellites do not only capture data during the day, but also during the night. 
And um, there is a very high correlation between the intensity of flight that is emitted at night from urban areas and the economic activity or GDP and the population size in the area. So nighttime lights provide a very good source to understand GDP trends and where people live and how people behave. Um, also in areas where we don't have enough administrative um, data. So for example, census data is not conducted in every country. And if it is conducted, um, it is conducted every, I don't know, four or five years. Um, the data is not always available. Um, maybe also not always reliable. So nighttime lights or any other type of satellite data provide a very good source to better understand those countries where we don't have access to accurate data. And nighttime lights data, for example, have been used a lot to measure North Korea and to understand the difference between North Korea and South Korea. Because nighttime lights capture every location on Earth, every one day, every two days, every five days, every 15 days. Um, and this allows us to really understand how cities, countries, regions, and people um, interact. That's absolutely fascinating. So what, what are some of the things that have surprised you? Or, you know, you said um, it, it, it connects, you, you found trends, GDP trends. Um, is there anything you can share with us today uh, about? Yeah, so many, many studies, many studies, um, since the 1990s, 2000s, have used nighttime lights um, as a proxy for GDP, as a proxy to understand economic development. Um, and indeed, there's a very high correlation. However, nighttime lights, by their nature, only capture areas that really emit light at night. This means that, for example, small villages or um, areas that are not electrified will not be even captured by this source of data. And this only describes the limitations of satellite data. So for example, in order to capture um, small villages or isolated communities, we would need to use different types of data sets and to do um, data fusion. Um, so for example, instead of just relying on nighttime lights, uh, we found that in many cases, uh, we need to rely on high resolution daytime imagery. For example, to capture built up land cover, to capture infrastructure, uh, to capture buildings. This data exists in a much higher resolution of 10 meters, 30 meter resolution. And this allows us also to capture areas that would not traditionally be captured by nighttime lights. So to answer your question, um, what we realized um, during these years is that nighttime lights are a great source, but in order to really understand developing countries, we need to do data fusion and to utilize different types of data sets, daytime imagery, nighttime imagery, and other data sources, for example, crowdsourcing or mobile phones and others. Yes, and, and the idea to get, you know, different data sets from satellite, are you going through satellite, mobile, text, survey, um, uh, how, how are you getting that to work better together? Um, yeah, so I focus, I focus on analysis of satellite imagery. Now, it is important to understand that um, there was a big change in the satellite um, industry. Um, in the past, um, studies or countries, 
and um, cities relied on very expensive imagery that were captured by um, private um, companies. Um, yes, this imagery provides you data in very high resolution of up to 15 centimeters, 30 centimeters, which is great. Um, you can really capture building footprints and you need this data, for example, uh, for zoning purposes or for taxation purposes. However, this data is not always available and it's not sustainable to rely on this very expensive high resolution imagery because this data is captured by private vendors for a very specific project. So my research and my work focuses on free publicly available data sets that are offered by governments. So for example, one of the data sets that we're using is called Lancet. Lancet is a series of um, satellites um, owned by the U.S., um, which have been capturing every location on Earth since the 1970s. Every location on Earth is captured at uh, every tw um, two weeks or three weeks. This means that all this data, terabytes of data, if not more, are stored and allow us to understand how cities, countries, um, and regions expand and evolve. So our, stat, our research and work focuses primarily on utilizing publicly available data sets um, to understand developing countries. Now, this is in the case of the World Bank, uh, because we want to offer a sustainable solution to developing countries. But for example, at FEMA, um, and I work also as a consultant uh, for new technologies at FEMA, we also uh, provide geospatial data support um, to understand um, disasters and to help FEMA manage disasters. In these cases, we want to, to do, for example, damage assessments and to understand and to map locations of buildings and infrastructures that were affected by floods. Maybe in these cases, medium resolution or the publicly available data sets would not always be sufficient. So I just want to clarify that yes, data sets, publicly available data sets are important um, and provide a unique source of information, especially for those who do not have the capacity to collect very expensive high resolution imagery. But for many applications, especially for disaster response, uh, we need much higher resolution. Um, and in these cases, we do not always, uh, we are not always able to rely on the publicly available data sets. So our analysis deals with geospatial data, whether it's remote sensing data, data that is collected by satellites, by airplanes, by UAVs, and other vector data. So for example, um, data sets that um, um, map roads or building footprints. Um, and there are also many free publicly available data sets that are not um, that are not necessarily um, captured by satellites. So for example, OSM, OpenStreetMap, um, is like the geospatial uh, version of Wikipedia. Um, volunteers um, contribute geospatial data um, and make them available to the community. Um, these data sets can also be then analyzed um, for research purposes. So for example, if we want to understand, um, to map connectivity between cities. And this is actually very important for disasters. Yeah. 
because in disasters, we often want to identify and to map isolated communities, which communities, communities cannot be connected to each other. And for this type of analysis, we need to rely on street network, which we can get, for example, from OSM. Can you, um, well, as you were speaking, this might be a good question. Um, you know how you, you said you don't have the high resolution data you need for disaster response. Um, I've got a question about um, what, what's your interpretation or, or um, understanding of humanitar the humanitarian AI space? Are you optimistic about technology? Uh, impacting and improving humanitarian operations and development work and how do you feel about AI's potential? Uh, you, and possible yeah, so I'm a, I'm a geographer, yeah. so I always look at the geospatial side of phenomena and every phenomena in our world has a spatial dimension and also humanitarian response and um, uh, disaster management has a spatial dimension. Um, geospatial data are key for humanitarian response, hence for um, humanitarian AI, in order to be able to help people, in order to improve our uh, ability to identify areas that um, um, require immediate attention, we need to rely on geospatial data. And as more and more data sets are becoming available with an emphasis on uh, um, publicly available data sets that are free, our, our options to analyze this data and utilize it for humanitarian purposes also increase. And I really see improvements in these industries. So for example, um, one of the platforms that I'm working a lot on is called Google Earth Engine. Um, Google Earth Engine is different from Google Earth. Google Earth Engine is um, a platform for planetary scale analysis. Um, it's free for non-commercial use. Um, and Google stores all the satellite data that um, the publicly available satellite data that is being collected, which means that every day um, Google um, update their archive with, of, with these data sets. And they also allow the community to analyze the data to run different AI algorithms, um, which can then be utilized also for humanitarian purposes. Um, so for example, mapping or identifying um, vulnerable communities um, to disasters, or in real time, identifying those areas that are flooded um, and that require immediate search and rescue operations. Can you um, share um, any insights you have from an actual, um, um, actual example or something that... Yeah, so... Um, so uh, we are working with World Bank with um, several divisions. Uh, one of them is with um, GFDRR um, and the CRP program. CRP is the City Resilience Program in the World Bank. Um, and uh, one of the projects we did for them was um, they, um, there was a list of city of 30 cities, um, which were created different geospatial layers. One of the key geospatial layers that we created was um, identifying 
flood-prone areas in cities. Um, this is where we used AI and machine learning um, to map all the flood events um, that have occurred in these set of cities, set of 30 cities, since 2015. Based on this data, we were able to identify which areas in each city are more vulnerable to flooding or more floods occur occurred during the last few years. And this data can then um, help cities better guide um, um, Prior and prioritize investments. So for example, where um, do cities need to invest more on infrastructure um, or um, to, in to improve the resilience of the population? Sounds like a lot of work. And I think you mentioned something about capacity uh, building earlier. Um, and it just makes me think of um, what what are some of your um, needs there um, in in tackling uh, capacity building? Right. So you know, uh, um, let's start with that. Uh, before I um, started my postdoc, um, I didn't have any experience with coding. Nevertheless, with um, AI or machine learning, I got exposed to this world um, as a geographer. Um, and if I were able to, if I were able to use um, to to learn how to code and to do basic machine learning, anybody can do it. And I really think that um, we. I love how you say that everyone can do it. <laughs> yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and I really believe that um, these days we can bring basic machine learning and AI. Um, to the crowd, to people, to governments, train the governments and those communities who really need this data, how to convert this data into meaningful information. So capacity building is key here. Um, we want to train, we want to teach um, governments, cities, um, decision makers, how they can utilize their, these publicly available data sets, apply some fancy or less fancy machine learning algorithms um, to understand their um, context. Yes. And what, tell us, can you tell us a little bit about your work with General Assembly? I think um, you, you're working together with them to um, uh, tackle research and uh... right. So in capacity building, um, I, I look at it a twofold. Um, 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 one is that we provide capacity building to developing countries. So um, as part of our work with the World Bank, um, we um, trained um, World Bank employees, for example, in uh, Yangon, Myanmar, or in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam, how to analyze these satellite satellite data. But in order to build more tools and to be more innovative, um, we need to train the next generation of data scientists um, and teach them about geospatial data. Um, so we partnered with um, General Assembly. General Assembly is a private school um, in the US. Um, we piloted this, um, uh, this project um, a year and a half ago. Um, and General Assembly, um, they have what is called client project where they partner with clients and they have their students, their data science students tackle a real world 
question, a real-world challenge. Um, in the last um, um, year and a half, um, three cohorts of um, students have worked on projects related to humanitarian response and relief. Um, based on our experience um, from FEMA and the World Bank, we propose different research topics for the students. Um, so, for example, we ask the students to utilize social media in real time to map hotspots of people that uh, require immediate um, search and rescue and emergency relief. Um, other students have worked on um, image classification um, to use satellite data or aerial imagery um, to um, estimate level of damage to buildings. So this partnership with General Assembly, first of all, provides the students real world understanding of what they can do with data, um, how they can apply the, um, all the skills that they, they learned um, in the, in, uh, um, I think um, it's uh, 10 weeks of an intensive course, all the machine learning and AI um, concepts that they learned um, to improve humanitarian response and relief based on our experience with real world um, um, issues, for example, from FEMA and the World Bank. Wow, that, that sounds great. And um, what what would you say um, is is a good time to start something like this? Um, it, it made me think of literacy and 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 how how old do do kids need to be before they can jump into this kind of education? Um, it sounds like it's a literacy in what? Data literacy? What would you call it? Date, first of all, just understanding what is geospatial data and understanding that geography is not that boring. Geography is not only atlases or maps. Okay. Geography also helps you understand the world. It helps you understand how people interact with each other, um, how the um, physical world, how people interact with the physical world, how different phenomena in the, in the physical world interact with each other. Um, in the past, we drew maps um, by hand. Um, and when I um, learned geography at the university, um, <laughs> many years ago. Um, I was the first, the last class who learned how to draw maps by hand. Um, today, GIS, geospatial information systems, um, are excessively used um, to map phenomena in the world. Not only to map, but also to understand how things um, relate to each other. AI and machine learning are an integral part of GIS. Um, only with AI and machine learning, we can really understand phenomena in our world. Who can learn it? Yes, even in schools. Yes, um, no, geography. I, I'm, I'm seeing what you're saying now. Thank you for, for painting that picture. And, and uh, yeah, if, if you want to keep going. Otherwise, I think, um, uh, what, did you want to finish what you're saying? Sorry, I... I no, I, I encourage I encourage people to learn more about GIS, about remote sensing, and really understand that geography is not boring. Geography is much more than what it used to be. Geography deals with real-world phenomena 
that um, are really relevant also for humanitarian response because everything in our, in our world has a geospatial, a spatial dimension. And only when we understand the spatial dimension of the world, then we can really solve problems. So, so Ran, what would you say um, your needs are at New Light Technologies? So, you know, we are a, a private. Um, uh, we are a private company. We um, work with um, clients such as the bank um, and FEMA. Um, I think that um, the industry in general um, needs to better understand and develop better ways to utilize um, this big geo data. Um, we need to find um, solutions for validation. We need to find better ways to train our models. Um, we need to find better ways to compare between um, models. Um, there's also limitation in terms of computation capacity. Um, if in the past we were able to do the analysis um, in our own computers, laptops, now we need to do the analysis with all this data, we need to move to the cloud. Um, in order to do that, we need um, sustainable methods and sustainable ability to do the analysis on the cloud. For example, such as with Google Earth Engine, which allows us to do the analysis uh, without the need of paying for um, expensive computational time. Um, so that that's bringing us to a, a close today. So you 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 your ask there is. Um, so yeah, so my ask um, is um, to encourage people to get into understand the world of remote sensing, machine learning of geospatial data and help us improve our models, help us improve our um, algorithms, help us improve um, our ability to do classification and machine learning of geospatial data and um, be able to validate our um, classifications and our results. Okay, Ran, thank you so much for sharing your insights from uh, New Light Technologies with us at uh, Humanitarian AI Today. Uh, that brings this edition of Humanitarian AI Today to a close. Um, just so everyone um, who's new to this, um, Humanitarian AI meetup groups were launched to give AI developers a chance to interface with humanitarian actors and talk about AI from general and technical perspectives, fostering knowledge sharing and cross collaboration. Uh, thanks again, Ran, today um, for joining us and we, we wish you all the very best.